0: are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs.
1: Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have Christopher Fisher. He's an archaeologist and the director of the Earth Archive. He's also a professor of anthropology at Colorado State University. So, Chris, thanks for coming.
2: Hey, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it, and I love the opportunity to participate in the podcast and uh, you know talk about all the exciting things that we're doing. Yeah, if you would tell me what are you working on? So, I have this crazy, you know, this crazy sort of entry into this into this topic, and that is, I was, you know, I'm an archaeologist. Um, and I was trained as a traditional archaeologist, so using methodologies that have been around, some of them for since the turn of the last century, most of them non-digital. And using one of those techniques, which was full coverage survey, walking across the landscape, I discovered a, a, a archaeological site, a city, ancient city that we didn't know was there. Huh. And it would have taken us, you know, decades to survey this thing you know, walk over the landscape, map everything that was there by hand using traditional methodology. So I turned to this new technology, LIDAR, and over the course of using this technology, I came to understand that it was good for so much more than just archaeology. And so that's what I want to talk about today, is the expansion of this topic to this idea that we can map the entire land surface of the planet using this LiDAR technology to create a three-dimensional digital twin of the planet that we can curate, that we can study today and curate in perpetuity for future generations.
1: Yeah, I remember, oh, that's right. I remember, that's how I found you as I saw your TED talk and uh, the title was something like mapping, uh, you know, every inch of the earth or something at, uh, or, yeah, something like that and I remember you talked about, uh, you were digging around for uh, remains of a certain city in Central America. And then, um, you know, with the LIDAR mapping, you were able to see like hundreds of structures that, that spread out over a vast expanse of jungle, right?
2: Yeah. So basically, I, you know, I started, yeah, and that was Honduras. And we did, so basically I did this in, in Michoacan, Mexico, with a city that we call Angamaku, And then we expanded that project and through happenstance and a whole bunch of other crazy things. Applied that technology to this rugged, un, unexplored place—the Mosquitia jungle of Honduras, where just because it's so rugged and hard to get there, and uh, um, politically it's a little, it can be a little unstable—nobody really worked there, and so we didn't have a, a great idea of what was there. And uh, over the course of that study, we discovered several ancient cities that we didn't know were there, and. Using this technology, we were able to digitally strip away, when we call it digital deforestation, digitally strip away the vegetation to see the archaeology, to see the surface of the land below in an area that ha- that's as densely vegetated as the Amazon. So it's just impossible sure. to do archaeological research there using traditional methodologies.
1: Well, now, if you were to go in there, you could pinpoint precision, know where to go, and you'd be less likely to waste time and to dig up areas that weren't important. And, you know, you could, I don't know, just be dramatically easier and better.
2: Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting. I know, you know, when people think of archaeology, they're like, oh, it's it's like synonymous with excavation, right? You know, digging stuff up. And, but very few archaeologists today actually, well, I shouldn't say very few, but it's not as common as you might think to do excavation. Archaeologists today are so focused on preservation that are, you know in some instances excavation is sort of a, a last resort. But what it does allow us to do is to go in there and using a sophisticated GPS unit, basically a hand which is a, now it's a handheld computer, we can look at three-dimensional maps that we've made using the lidar. And we can walk across the land surface and you're exactly right. We can pinpoint exactly where we want to go, find areas of interest, go and map those areas. And then maybe depending on the kinds of questions that we want to ask as archaeologists, which have to do with the way that, you know, ancient societies are organized or how they used to their environment or whatever, uh, we can, we can perhaps excavate some of those areas.
1: Have you, have you tried to uh, take a rendering, you know, at ground level? Of one of these cities and recreate it in VR and walk through it. So we've, st-
2: so you can do that, and we're, and we are, it, it, we're we are experimenting with doing that. And so let me tell you some some different ways that we've done that. Uh, but you're absolutely right, and you can put it into it. But to it's you know, I'm a professor, so I'm contractually obligated to give you a long answer to any question yeah. that you ask me. So <laughs> but you know, to answer your question, yes, you can do it. you can you can put these data inside of a game engine and basically walk through it. But it's really labor intensive to do that, and we're we're not quite I mean some people have done that, but we're not quite there yet, I think. But what mm-hmm. we can do is make amazing reconstructions of what we think these places look like, And one of those was featured actually in the October issue 2015. Of National Geographic of this city, which we call the city of the Jaguar. Some people call it the Lost City of the Monkey God or Ciudad Blanca. So there is a, a old school kind of National Geographic, beautifully artistically rendered reproduction of what the city looked like. But you can put on 3D glasses and you can walk through the point clouds. So when you scan these areas, what you end up with is not a photograph. But instead, it's a digital three D cloud of points that represents the Earth's surface and everything on it—every tree, every bush, etc.—down to things that are about twenty-five centimeters on this on a side. So you can walk through this point cloud, and you can paint that point cloud um, onto buildings and other sorts of things. So it is possible to to create that environment, but we're we're not quite there yet.
1: So um, how does, I mean, can you talk a little bit about how LIDAR works? How can it um, see the trees, but then also, you know, strip them away so you can see the buildings underneath? Why is there, why is it able to see a difference?
2: Absolutely. That's a great question. So using some sort of airborne platform, plane, helicopter, uh, you can do it with a drone, but the, um, the, the payload carrying ability and the range of drones that are available to, to civilians right now is not great enough to do, the kind of LIDAR that we're, that we're calling for. So we're, we're basically right now limited to fixed wing aircraft or helicopters. So from that, from that aircraft, you have an instrument that fires down a very dense grid of infrared beams, a couple hundred thousand beams per second or so. And when one of those beams strikes an object on the, on the, on the earth, it could be the ground surface, it could be a leaf, it could be the trunk of a tree it could be a bird whatever returns back to that sensor on the aircraft and it gives you a measure of distance those beams are so dense that no matter how dense the canopy some of them will hit the ground surface and return to the sensor so what you end up with as i mentioned before is a three-dimensional clot of points it's not a photograph so if you put on 3d glasses you can walk through it and what we do is using sophisticated computer software, we classify those points based on their elevation, um, their location, their relationship to to other points on the ground. And that's that's how we digitally practice deforestation. So we digitally strip away that vegetation so we can see the archeology span below. The key thing is that all of that stuff that I painstakingly work to strip away Place basically in a bin, and we can turn them off so we can see the ground surface, are the careers of hundreds of other scientists that are starting, you know, studying carbon budgets, forest composition, the number of trees that are there, tree species, tree size and age, hydrology, topology, um, other geological questions like landslides and faults. And I mean, the possibilities are, are mind-bogglingly endless. So that's, that's the key thing about these LIDAR records is that they're the ultimate conservation records, and they don't degrade like a photograph. So we can store them, since they're digital information, we can store them in perpetuity as an ASCII file, basically.
1: Have, have you looked at, uh, is, is there anywhere where there's LIDAR footage on an ongoing basis, you know, over months or a year or two, and, you know, where changes have been noticed? And can you overlay and make a movie of successive LiDAR images and watch a landscape change?
2: Yeah, you absolutely. And there has been some of that that has been done and we would call that change detection. And that's where the, that's when the LiDAR records really, really become, it, in my opinion, every time that an area is rescanned, the value of those records doubles. And we fully expect that with the Earth Archive, when, we begin scanning these areas and open sourcing the data. That, depending on the kinds of questions that people have and how they want to use these data, they're going to go back and rescan these areas to do just that—to look for changes, to measure deforestation, faulting, landslides, uh, sea level rise, and loss of loss of coastal areas or erosion. Um, looking at before and after images from storms or hurricanes or fires. Um, you know, I'm talking to you right now from Colorado and the hue of the sky and everything around us has an orange, kind of an orange tint from the from the fires that are happening in Colorado and Wyoming right now. And, you know, by, uh, if we had LIDAR, high, high resolution LIDAR records before and after of those, we could tell exactly where things had burned and how many trees have been lost and um, you know all sorts of crazy, amazing information.
1: Can lidar be performed from low Earth satellites, or it has to be from airplanes? Well,
2: that's the and another super great question. So, right now, and there there is lidar in space. There's a, a instrument on the ISS called Jedi G E D I. Great, a- <laughs> great acronym. And Jedi is lidar instrument but the resolution is not great enough to do what, what we need to do. We're about, we're, we're a little ways off from getting a space-borne instrument that uh, can scan the Earth's surface at the kinds of resolutions that we're actually calling for. And the problem is that we can't wait for one of those instruments because the Earth is changing so rapidly now, the clock is ticking, that we have a limited time to be able to scan the Earth as it exists now to create this digital record that we can pass on to our grandchildren's grandchildren so that they can understand what the earth looked like, they can do this change detection, um, they can see uh, what what was causing uh, the the changes that we're seeing today, um, very specific instances, and they can use that record to halt changes that, that they're seeing during their lifetimes, or perhaps even reconstruct the reconstruct the Earth and using in a in a uh, using a system that might be like the holodeck on the Star Trek on, from Star Trek.
1: So this seems really useful for forests or obviously for areas that are clear. Uh, what about bodies of water? Can LiDAR see through water if it's not too deep and look for features underneath?
2: Yeah. So unfortunately, the kinds of LiDAR that we're talking about will not penetrate water. There is LiDAR that is available for shallow areas, uh, bathymetric LIDAR. Our mission is not, our call is not to to do that kind of LIDAR scanning. And um, those instruments are sort of newish. They're just being developed. Um, There are a lot of limitations, like the water has to be really clear and stuff like that. But that kind of LIDAR, the bathymetric LIDAR, is already being used in some really, really cool applications. So there's a Scientist from one of the two Montana schools, like it's either the university of Montana or Montana state, I should remember this, but I don't, but anyway, he's using that kind of LIDAR to do, to count trout in high mountain streams that are really, really hard to get to physically. Um, so they're actually firing LIDAR into these shallow, super clear streams. The trout are really visible and they're able to do basically a trout census using the LIDAR.
1: Which I think is just so cool. <laughs> how do they uh, see how many trout there are? Do they have like a gate and they pass through it? The lidar counts them or something?
2: No, they just basically scan the the entire stream from top to bottom in the section that they're interested in. And oh, the, wow. the water is very clear, and the trout have a very distinctive profile, and they're able to actually count. Um, you know, I'm sure there's some uh, some trout that they miss, but they're able to count the. The majority of trout in the stream
1: that's really cool
0: if you like this podcast please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on itunes
1: yeah it's pretty amazing actually so so what areas are you uh working on scanning like what's what are the first areas that you want to look at or yeah
2: so we say that we want to you know scan the entire um land land area of the planet 29.2% of it Uh, Many, and with the following caveat, many areas are already being scanned and there are a lot of countries that can afford to to scan and where that happens, we're just going to mirror those records. So the United States, for example, has a program called 3DEP. We're not, the resolution of that, of that scanning effort is not high enough for what we need, but those records are still really valuable a lot of Northern European countries in the UK uh, are doing massive scanning programs and they're open sourcing those data. But there are lots of countries that just don't have the resources to be able to do those scans. And those countries are in areas that are changing really, really rapidly. And so our first campaign is going to be to scan the entire Amazon basin. And we hope to begin doing that scanning in spring of 2021. And we're about to initiate a massive crowdfunding campaign to get the resources to be able to, to do that scan in three phases over five years.
1: Well, most of the Amazon is what? Is owned by Brazil or what other nations? Uh, well, the Amazon, and that's a, it's,
2: a, it's a very, very tricky problem. So the Amazon actually uh, encompasses or touches or encompasses nine countries, nine separate countries. So we have, and the Earth Archive is partnering with academics, NGOs, indigenous people, government officials in each of those nine countries. We've initiated contacts to begin these programs of scanning around areas of interest for sort of the, the phase one scan. And um, a lot of our work, you know, there are a lot of technological challenges associated with the Earth Archive, but the most confounding challenges The ones that will be the hardest to solve are the social challenges. Getting permissions, uh, open sourcing the data, capacity building, teaching people how to use these LiDAR records. Uh, That's really where uh, um, our grand challenges sort of lay, we feel.
1: Well, you probably can't identify, can you identify people on LiDAR? I mean, not by their face, but can you identify, ooh, that's a person there or an animal?
2: Probably. Probably not in the resolutions that we're um, talking about. Although if it's a large animal, we could, and it's relatively stationary, we can, we can identify it. So from our Mexico data, we can see cows for example uh, and horses and stuff like that. Uh, we can also see birds because the birds appear. as just a speck that's kind of above the um, forest. Uh, people we, I, I haven't, um, we ha- I haven't seen people in any of the lidar scans that I've done, although I'm sure it's um, it's possible at the resolutions that we're talking about. Of course, using different kinds of lidar instruments, you can actually scan a a person, which we you know everybody's all sort of seen that I think. But um, from the aerial lidar that we're talking about, I've never actually seen a person being identified. Although I'm sure it's um, I'm sure it's definitely happened, but we can recognize the traces of people very easily. So there are open open areas, paths, trails, structures, um, cleared, you know, fields, et cetera.
1: So, I mean, is there much permission needed because you can't really identify people? Uh, are they worried about military installations? Are they like, what, what is the issue with uh, permission to be able to do this?
2: Yeah, so one of the things that, that's really important to us is that we open source the data as much as we possibly can make the data freely available to anybody who, who wants to use it. In doing that, we will undoubtedly scan areas that are sensitive for a whole variety of reasons. Um, the Amazon is home to, so for example, the Amazon is home to uncontacted peoples. Some of the last uncontacted peoples left on the planet. They choose to be, uncon- they choose to be uncontacted. That's, that's a decision that they have made. And we feel it's very important to honor that decision. So our scans may very well pick up areas where those folks are, and we don't want to reveal those areas. So we'll have to ghost those the, the traces of those people out of the data or not release it. Likewise, we will probably encounter people doing illegal activities. We might scan unknown military installations. We could potentially uh, encounter... Um, areas of deforestation or other kinds of things that some of these countries may not be uh, keen on revealing that, that that is happening in those spots. So there will have to be a lot of negotiation with these countries to allow us to do the scans and then allow us to sort of open source the data.
1: I guess you don't want a Swiss cheese, you want a comprehensive picture if you can. As comprehensive
2: as possible, and of course, you know we're in this for the long haul. We want to we want to open source these records and curate them in perpetuity. Now, they, the records have a lot of value for current analytics, for people to tackle modern land use issues, sustainability, carbon budgets, etc. But we feel that their the real value is in their long term curation. So, you know, and I'm an archaeologist. I think in in um, you know, very long chunks of time. So, if we can't get these records open sourced right away, but maybe in ten years they're open sourced because the uh, you know the sensitivity of the of the things that we've encountered in the lidar have sort of timed out. I'm okay with that. To my way of thinking, that's that's an acceptable
1: open source. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I guess different eyes would have different layers of permission to see things too.
2: Yeah, and potentially we can do something like that um, as well. So, you know, each one of these countries, it's probably going to be a separate negotiation to make those things happen. And that's what we're involved in uh, sort of doing
1: uh, right now. Well, you're done with Central America. Why not continue there and finish it off?
2: That is another area we love to scan. And a lot of um, conservation organizations are actually talking about the importance of maintaining the five forests of Mesoamerica. So it's basically this uh, pristine forested corridor that would stretch from the Maya region all the way down to South America, basically all the way across Central America. The Mosquitia area where I worked before is one of those critical zones. And so we would also love maybe as our second, maybe as a second focus area uh, to scan those five forests of Mesoamerica.
1: I guess around the world, there's many spots you could scan too. Any other uh, low-hanging fruit where well, an entire country you could scan, and that would be a, a you know a proof of concept.
2: Yeah, the tropical areas of Africa are um, very endangered, and we would love to start scanning there. And then there are many, many areas in Southeast Asia, tropical areas in Southeast Asia that are um, that are endangered, uh, coastal areas, Arctic tundra areas. I mean the list is kind of endless, and so our and so our hope is that we'll build an Earth Archive community that will you know set up sort of one one way to think about it would be like chapters in these places where we could help and facilitate scans with fundraising technology uh, providers that are interested in doing these this kind of work etc.
1: What about I don't know if you consider them a good partner, but Google with Google Earth. I mean, you could add another layer to their data, but I don't know if they'd want to control it and not open source it.
2: We'd love to take some, we'd love to partner with Google. We'd love to take some money from Google. <laughs> we'd love to take some money from Amazon. You know, Amazon should be funding the Amazon scan. Um, you know, this would be, uh, be a great PR opportunity for them. Uh, so we're, we're pursuing a lot of different leads to with some of these organizations to, to help get the scans done.
1: Well, if it's not obvious to some people, what things have been observed on LIDAR that are useful and why? I mean, in an archaeological sense, yes, you could find structures you didn't know were there, but like, you know, just in plain speak, what are some of the, the really useful things that have come out from the scans you've done?
2: So, for archaeology specifically, uh, the scans have been transformational. And I was one of a bunch of co authors that published a paper in 2012 in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. That basically said that LIDAR was a paradigm shift for archaeology. And that revolution, and so for archaeology, it's transformed our knowledge of the density of ancient populations, especially in the Americas, the amount of landscape transformation that people performed to support those large populations, the number of cities, ancient cities and, and urban centers that were present. Um, in that ancient world and a whole host the, the the way that these places were organized on the landscape and connected ancient road systems. Um, the list is, is kind of endless, but that but that revolution has not been for archaeology alone. So many, many of the observational sciences and the natural sciences are in the process of being transformed by... Um, the addition of this high-resolution three-dimensional data. So one of the big ways that it's really helping people is with carbon budgeting. So the, the UN has started this program called Red, REDD, R-E-D-D, uh, where you can buy carbon offsets, but it's really, really hard for people to calculate the amount of carbon that's uh, in a specific spot on the landscape without high-resolution records. So one of the things that the Earth Archive can do is help facilitate those RED transactions, R again, R-E-D-D, by uh, enabling people to understand in a, in a real high resolution, absolute sense, how much carbon is on the landscape in a given, given unit of space.
1: Well, very good, Chris. What, um, I don't know, when do you think you're gonna have a major update on your project? How long until you want to get there with the Amazon scan or at least do part of it?
2: Hopefully next summer. So our timeline is for, you know, people can, we'd love for people to sign up for our newsletter on our website, which is theeartharchive.com. The Earth Archive is all one word. We're hoping to initiate a major crowdfunding campaign in about a month and a half where people will be able to sponsor areas of probably three to four of the nine countries that encompass the Amazon. They'll actually be able to choose areas to sponsor to scan and they can donate money for that. And that's um, cool. Yeah. And then, um, we hope to begin the the scanning process probably in the late spring. So immediately after we scan, we'll probably, we'll probably have updates.
1: You're going to break the uh, scan down into regions and then people can sponsor a region.
2: Yeah. So the way we think it's going to work now, although don't, (laughs) we're we're developing this, but it's proving it's, it's slightly more difficult than I thought it would be, but I think we can work it out. So uh, we're going to have um, three to six areas of interest in several key countries that, that encompass the Amazon. And um, people will be able to go onto an online map and drill down into that map and choose blocks of space that they can actually sponsor. And of course, we'll have a write-up that when we have some idea basic idea of what we think we're going to find there archaeologically, ecologically, et cetera. And so people will be able to sponsor that area. If you buy enough of a block of of that space, we'll be able to include your name or a dedication in the metadata that's attached to each LiDAR point. So that means that in perpetuity, your name or dedication or whatever it might be, will be attached to to those LiDAR data. It's kind of like putting your name... Yeah, it's kind of like putting your name on a park bench. I don't know what the life of a park bench is, but I can tell you that the life of our metadata will will be for, you know, a, a really long thing. Centuries, maybe. So um, I I think that's such a, you know, I, I see people buying like deeds for part of the moon and all sorts of crazy stuff. And
1: I was going to say, that's how they so Yeah, they, you can't sell it, but they, you know, people paid quite a bit of money to buy. Parts of the moon, you know, at least with that. Yeah. Yeah. Here,
2: you can actually yeah, help a, a part of the scan, and then you can go and when well, we've actually done the scan and we release the data, hopefully, we'll you know we'll have some kind of certificate or something that we can send to people. But they can actually go back into a our our um, you know our web interface and see what was there. I think that's really cool myself. <laughs> but you know, I'm a bit well.
1: Once um once an area is scanned, it would tend to have a name. You know, like when you scan the, uh, you know, the Jaguar yeah. civilization, whatever it was, you know, it was pretty big. So I bet there was probably names that came up like this part and this part instead of just north and northern and eastern. end. maybe you could, um, in addition to their name and the metadata, they could choose from a list of names that are relevant in that country in that country's language and name the area. And, you know, I don't know, maybe that would add on to the prestige of doing so.
2: Yeah, we, that's a great idea. We could definitely pursue that. Um, we would want to do that in conjunction with our uh, local partners, of course. And all that's of what I mean,
1: right. You'd have a, they'd have a list of pre-approved yeah. names that the country or local partner would decide in their language, you know. Um,
2: yeah, know that's a great idea. And, like, and I also want to, yeah, that's a great idea. We'll look into that. And I also want to emphasize that, um, you know, this is all being done in conjunction with, with local partners. So it's all it's just all a big collaborative thing. And, um, you know, our local partners are basically the ones that'll, that'll, um, uh, you know, in, in, in a large part run these scans and then they'll analyze the data and publish from the data. And, and we hope to have a lot of really cool, uh, rewards for people, you know, the basic suite of t-shirts and stuff like that. But for people that are really, really interested and really, really want to contribute, we think that we can bring those people like a, uh, select, you know, very small select group of people actually see some of the scans in action, which I also think would be a great opportunity.
1: Well, that's, that's what I was going to ask you. Um, when you scan an area, you see one thing, but then when you actually go there, how closely does it correlate with the scan? Like you have your handheld computer and you're looking at the scan results as you're trekking through a particular area. And was it super easy to find features because it was so accurate?
2: In in the yeah in in the areas that I've scanned, there's a one-to-one correlation between what we see on the lidar scans, the products that we make from the lidar scans, and what's actually there on the ground. Depending on the resolution of the scan, so often we can see smaller things that aren't you know necessarily visible on the scan, but nothing larger. And you can actually navigate to features and see them like mounds, uh, building foundations, etc. The, the thing that tends to happen is that when you stare at the products from the LIDAR, whether it's a hillshade or whatever it is, things seem smaller. And then when you see them in person, see, things seem much bigger. So there's generally a period of time where you have to calibrate the size of the things that you're looking at or that you've been staring at in the LIDAR data with their actual sort of physical size on the ground and you know, of course you can look at the feature and measure it and you have an intellectual understanding of the size of the feature, but um, that's different than actually having that physical experience of seeing the feature and how
1: big it actually is. Well, that would also be second level type stuff that once you're on the ground locally, you'd probably want to look at, you know, let's say um, the LiDAR picks up, a, a you know, a crevasse or something like that, or this, you know, this open ridge between two areas, that's not very wide you know, you being on the ground and being there and looking and saying, Oh, it's like a, you know, a seven foot wide gap. And as I look down into it, I see this that, and the other, I mean, there's probably a lot more information you'd get if you then actually go there and add to what's been scanned. So maybe there's yeah. a, um, a second level of access that can be offered to people that they can help fund. It is an interesting area. You know, I, I know you don't want to disturb certain areas, but maybe there are some you would want to send in real people and, you know, pay for them to go in there and really see the detail of what's there.
2: Yeah, I don't know if we'll be able to <laughs> quite support that, but we can definitely take them to, to some cool archaeological sites so they can see that. A lot of these areas are going to be incredibly remote. So um, getting into them is like a real, can be a real challenge. And um, it's a physical challenge, and then it's also a safety challenge. And But we can definitely take people to some cool areas and they can see how the scans are, Sort of happening, and they can help us make some of the lidar discoveries in in real time, which I think will be I think will be a great opportunity for for some people.
1: I, I know maybe it's a little bit off topic, but can lidar be used to scan like the interior of caves or the interior of buildings?
2: Yeah. So what we've been talking about is aerial lidar. There are other kinds of lidar. So lidar is a very very popular technology now. It's used on it's used with you know, with robots, it's used, and they actually scan and make a a three-dimensional map of the interior of a room to help them sort of navigate and understand it. It's used by self-driving cars. They use, they do the same thing. Um, There are nonprofit organizations that are scanning um, monuments. So they're focused on scanning individual monuments, and they might use a LIDAR that's a terrestrial LIDAR that's on a tripod. It's very similar to like a, the tripod a surveyor might use. And doing that, you can actually make a 3D uh, image of a, of a building or the interior of a building. And I have a very good friend who just published an article in the, in the latest proceeding of proceedings of the national Academy of sciences. Uh, it's about a, a cave uh, site that he's been excavating in Portugal about 25 years now. And over the last several seasons, but the last, I think six or seven seasons, every year they've done a three-dimensional scan of the cave. So you can see incrementally, you can see their progress in excavating this thing. And they've actually pushed the um, record for modern humans in the Iberian Peninsula back and basically by extension that part of Europe back by about 5,000 years. So it's actually a really, really cool study. And they've done just that. They've used terrestrial lighter to study, to scan the uh, interior of caves.
1: That's really cool. Well, very good. Well, Chris, what's the best way, way for people to keep tabs? And then when the opportunity is available for them to uh, you know, contribute to the Amazon scan, where can they go?
2: They can go to our website, which is theeartharchive.com. Sign up for our newsletter. We'll definitely be telling people what's going on there. We'll have a lot of information on the website about the, the crowdfunding campaign and where they can go for that. Look for the crowdfunding campaign that'll be, that we should um, ha- have sort of functioning in about a month and a half. Um, sign up for our newsletter. And if they have very specific questions, they can always send me an email and or send, a, you know, send me an email through our, our contact button on the website. And myself or one of the other uh, Earth Archive folks, will get back to them with questions. And we're always looking for corporate alliance partners to help us do these scans.
1: Very good. Well, Chris, thanks for coming. It's been great talking to you. I appreciate it.
2: Hey, Richard, thank you so
0: much for having me. It It was a lot of fun. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes.